The sun is out. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, you can do a little better than that. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, all right, all right. Good morning to those of you that are joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. A beautiful, beautiful fall, fall day. Um, we have something very special to do this morning. We have several things I want to mention to you. We have a child, children dedication, children in the family. So I'm going to ask Eric and Palumi Akins to bring Daniel, Ruth, and Olivia up, if you would, please. This is always such a special time. Hi, guys. It's okay. <laughs> Come on up. All right. And what's your name? Daniel. You're Daniel. And what's your name, sweetheart? Can I read it? <laughs> you must be Olivia. Yeah, that's, that's Olivia. This is Olivia. Hi, sweetheart. How old is she? She's one. She's one years old. What a beautiful family. Isn't it? What a beautiful family. It's okay. What, those of you who've been here for a while know we understand what we practice. Many of you were raised in churches that practice an infant baptism. But we believe the more correct model because salvation is based on an informed decision that you make, an act of your will. And a child's really not able to do that. So what we do is follow the pattern that Hannah followed in the Old Testament when she was not able to have any children. So she went to God and said, if you'll, if you'll give me a son... I will dedicate that first son's life to you. And so once that child was weaned, she took him, and his name was Samuel, and brought him to the, to the temple, put him into the hands of the high priest to serve in that, and he became the great prophet, Samuel. We're, you're not going to leave him with us. You're going to take him home. <laughs> but what it, what it signifies is a dedication of the child's life to serve the Lord and a commitment on behalf of the parents and the congregation to join together with them to train them up and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you're here this morning because that's what you want to do, and we want to honor that today. So we're going to first of all pray for you, if you'd just join my hands with me. Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that, this wonderful family that you have brought here to us and here this morning. And Father, we just thank you for the grace and wisdom that you give them today even to raise these children up, to know you, to serve you, and to love you with all their heart. And Father, in the times that lie ahead, you give them wisdom. You give them strength. You keep them strong together, that unity in this family and peace in this family and the wisdom of God upon the father and upon the mother to do what, exactly what you've called them to do. Father, we pray for this young man, Daniel. We thank you for the name that's been given to him, the name of a mighty man of God who loved you and served you, was committed to you all of his life. And we just commit his hand, his life into your hands to raise and nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that all that you see for him to do, all that you plan for him to do will happen and that you will grow in his heart at an early age a knowledge of you and a love for you. Father, we pray for this sweet young child. We thank you for the tender spirit. And we just pray over her, Father, that you will watch over her and protect her, that you will grow in that sweet tenderness to your spirit and know the voice of your spirit well. And Father, we pray for Lydia, this precious child. Yes, yes, strength. The strength of God, a mighty woman of God. You will be a mighty woman of God, strong, strong and speak forth strongly. And Father, we just thank you that you know ahead of time all that you've called and ordained. And Satan, we bind you from this family. We bind you from these children. We plead the blood of Jesus over them to cover and protect them and you cannot cross the bloodline for that blood has defeated your power and authority. And so we just pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. What we have for you for the three of them is their first children's Bible together to share together. Okay, thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. Bless you. Daniel, you made it. 
You did good. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. Yep, you, you can help her too. Praise the Lord. Two other things I want to make you aware of before we get into God's Word. Yeah, uh, D2L parents, if you haven't left and gone downstairs, you need to go downstairs. It's an important meeting. We want to stay, this is a teamwork we do together with you. D2L is not a place to just send your kids so that you can have a nice time in church. We're training them up and we're preparing them and we've already seen some of what, what they'll do and we're going to see more of it at the beginning of this year. Um, but we, need, we want to partner together with you. Um, and there's a wonderful team downstairs that God has assembled to assist and help you, but we need your help and assistance. So if you have not yet gone to that meeting, I want to encourage you to do so. Uh, if, if you have not come on Wednesday night or happen to have tuned in online on Wednesday night, we've changed the format a, a little bit and for a very specific reason. This has always been known as a teaching church, a teaching center. Pastor Sam established that way. Pastor David continued it. We've continued this. One of the primary gifts of the pastors here is teaching. But we had a sense we needed to create an atmosphere where there was something a little more could happen. So it's basically an hour, and there's no formal praise and worship. We'll often begin with some just praising worship without, without the musicians, and it's been wonderful. So we've had some times when it's taught. We've had a, two weeks ago, we had a wonderful time of prayer. Um, and we're going to do something a little different this, this Wednesday night. The staff doesn't even know about this, and it's okay, I'll, I'm going to do it. Um, I heard a quote, and I've heard this before, about where our hearts are. If, if it, You can tell who loves ch- the church by the people that show up on Sunday morning, and we're glad you do. You can tell who loves the pastor by who shows up on the midweek service. And you can tell who loves the Lord by who shows up at a prayer meeting. Because what we put our heart, who we love first is where we give our hearts. So what we're going to do Wednesday night, and I don't know what's going to happen, is we're going to have a time to come together, those of you that want to, and we're just going to seek the Lord together. We're going to return to our first love. It's just something God dropped in my heart. I don't know how we're going to do it. We're going to just let the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do. So often on Sunday morning, we, we just, because of some things that need to be accomplished, He's kind of restricted So we're just going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But He will move more as we seek our hearts. As we ended this worship time this morning, you notice the atmosphere was so so sweet because we were worshiping Jesus and we were honoring Him. So that's what we're going to do on Wednesday night. Third thing I want to just make you aware of, inform you of, uh, back in March of this year, I spent a whole service announcing to you kind of the direction, the future where this church was going. And I announced that we were, had been planning for years, six years, working on and announced to you a plan to transition the, the, the ultimate leadership, the lead position in this church. And that it's time, I'm 77 this year, and I'm still full of health and life and not me, not in me, but it's time to transition the leadership to the next generation. And we took you through the process we went through. And I explained to you that I know with all my heart the elders unanimously believe the same thing, um, is that uh, Pastor Chris is to be the lead pastor. And we announced to you that that transition was going to take place next year, but we did not give you a date. The reason we did not give you a date is some things kind of had to fall into place, especially with what he's doing now. And I just had a sense a few months ago that we really needed to tie that date down. So I'm informing you of when that date. So we're going to have a special service on January 29th, the last Sunday of January. And Pastor Sam Smucker will be here. And it's just a time for, you won't see a lot different after that, other than it's time to do the, formally make that transition in effect. So the question is, well, what happens to Anita and me? Well, we're still going to be on staff. I'm still going to be on staff. And you'll still see us around and I'm still going to do some teaching. But what God's made clear to me is that because I've been on staff here for 24 years and and my wife has had her husband serve and do all kinds of things on staff, she needs a little time with her husband. You think she deserves that? Well, I do. She needs some rest. 
And then God made clear to me, I need some rest. And what he meant by that is, and I knew just what he meant. I've spent the last year trying to figure out what do I do next year. And I've come up with some great ideas. And I think they're great ideas, but God hasn't put his hand on any of them yet. And what he made clear to me is, he son, you're not going to know what I have for you to do next until you let go of what you have here. And that's an act of faith. So we're going to go away for six weeks or so, two months at the tops, just to give this transition time to get into effect. And we're not leaving the church. We're coming back. We're going to be part of what God's doing here. So I just want to make you aware, aware of that. I love what Jerry Ims, wherever he is right now, uh, said to me a few... No, he's around here somewhere. Jerry gets around. There he is. Okay. Uh, he said, somebody came up to me and said, what do you think about this? And I love his answer. He said, God didn't ask me my opinion. So if you have an opinion about it, it's yours. It's not God's. Because I guarantee you, God has not shared his opinion because he doesn't ask our opinion with what he does, does he? That, was, that went over really big, I can tell. <laughs> so we need to get into this message so that we can grow in these things. Everybody okay? Amen. All right. God established this church 43 years ago through Pastor Sam Smith. He did an amazing job of laying the foundation for this congregation. You saw last year in Pastor Earl McClellan some of the fruit of what Pastor Sam and Donna uh, sowed into this, through, through God sowed into this. And the th- lives that have been changed over these 43 years, not just here, but around the world. And God has, always had, had, God has always had His hand on this church. And you heard that from Pastor Earl last week. And God does not take His hand off with a transition that He has ordained. And I tell you with all my heart, God has ordained this transition. And so you just need to just flow with it, not be anxious. I understand change can make us anxious, but you know that just should bore us even closer to the Lord. All right? All right? All right. They're okay in the front row. I'm not sure about you guys in the back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise God. We're going to get into the message now. Let's pray because what's on my heart to share with you could come across as just a nice teaching, a, a, a good teaching. We can go leave informed and we would totally miss what I believe God wants to do because he wants to take something that he's touched my heart with, deeply touched my heart with, and he wants to touch our, all of our hearts with this same thing. Teaching fills our mind up with concepts and ideas and principles, and they're very, very important. But worship and the anointing touches our heart. And the Bible tells us it's out of the heart flow the issues of life. Worship comes out of your heart. Praise comes out of your heart. Prayer should come out of your heart. And so our prayer, I want you to join with me right now. Father, we just come to you and thank you for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, so often we take it for granted. We understand the theology. We understand the concept that Jesus died to pay for our sins. And we miss the power of your love that's demonstrated by the enormity of what he did for us. And so, Father, I'm asking you by the power of the Holy Spirit to take what you have touched my heart with and by the anointing of your Spirit, take the Word of God and to touch each and every one of our hearts with exactly what you want. Your Word tells us that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of men all that God has prepared for those who love Him. But Your Spirit's been given to us to reveal those things, the deep things of Your heart, to draw them forth and to reveal them. Reveal Your heart to us this morning. May the Holy Spirit draw from the depths of Your heart the incredible depth of Your love for us that's been demonstrated in what Christ Jesus did for us. For these things we give You thanks in advance. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Back in September, I watched uh, on one morning, and I'm sure you've all heard about it, you know about it. Back in September, Queen Elizabeth uh, passed away, 96 years of age. And I guess it, it, it touched me maybe more than it might, um, it might before, because three years ago, we went over to England, to London, and to other parts of England. And we got an we got opportunity, thanks to 
the advice of, of Ellen Seville, that we could go into, the, into Buckingham Palace and take a tour of Buckingham Palace. It's amazing what's in there. But the other thing I think that, that tied me more deeply to it was discovering that, that Queen Elizabeth was a Christian. I mean a real Christian. And a strong Christian. Um, the, 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 uh, uh, one of the, the Discovery Channel, one of those channels, ran a, a special that whole week on her. And there was a whole section of one episode one night that talked about her faith and how she would declare that the foundation of her life, the center of her life, was her relationship with Jesus Christ, that he held nothing back. So that was my sister, your sister, that we watched go through that formal. Now, now the British know how to do a ceremony. They know how to... We Americans don't. We just go through it, and, you know, it's over with, because we don't have this depth of tradition that they have. And so I watched this ceremony. I, didn't, I missed the funeral, but I watched the procession as it went from, from, uh, from um, uh, the Abbey, Westminster Abbey, up past, the, um, past Buckingham Palace, and that was so powerful to me. And, and on, the, on, on the, the top of her casket, can you show the first image? Image number one. That's the first image. That's, a, that's them, the, the, the soldiers carrying her casket. And you'll see on top of it there is flowers. There is draped with her, with the, the, I think that's the, the flag of the House of Windsor. And then there's her crown. And so, you know, it's, it's easy for us Americans to look at that and say, well, that's a lot of expense. And you can take it down. That's a lot of expense. It's a lot of formality. You know, dignitaries travel. What for? Well, this woman, and I'm not here to exalt her, this woman gave 70 years of her life in service of her country, sometimes at the expense of things she wanted to do for her own family. They kept showing a clip of how she made that commitment when she was 26 years of age and how she lived that out faithfully. So what that nation was honoring was the, the, the sacrificial faithfulness that this woman had given to them, to their nation. And there was an outpouring of honor and respect and in some cases grief. And it was for a woman the vast majority of them never met, never actually saw face to face. So it was appropriate because of what she did to honor her and to, to, to bless her. But you noticed on top of that casket was a crown. And I want to talk for a minute ago, a minute about, no, just, you can take it, oh, you can put it up. Um, I want to talk for you a minute what a crown is. Why is that important? What a, what's a crown? By the way, she had a, a number of different crowns, but that crown is the royal crown. That's the crown with which she was coronated. That's the crown she wore when she did her formal acts as the head of state of, of the United Kingdom. So what is a crown? A crown is a head covering that represents the highest position in the kingdom. It's the sign of the ruler's highest authority, of the ruler's dignity, and of the ruler's legitimacy. The fact that it's worn on the head signifies that the person wearing it is under the authority of something else, is under that covering. Now, you may not realize this, but in England, they practice the, 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 the concept that the monarch is chosen by God to serve. And Queen Elizabeth believed that devoutly. Her coronation was the first coronation that was televised, but she refused to allow the the part of it that she considered holy to be televised. It was covered. It was covered with a with a cloth covering so the cameras could not see it. And that's the part where she was anointed with oil, representing the anointing of God to lead God's people. And she considered that so sacred that she would not allow it to be televised. And after the anointing of oil, representing her need for the anointing of God to lead this people, to govern this people. I know that's a parliamentary governor. She has limited authority. But she was representing the people. She wanted that to be done in a very sacred way. And it's at that point she receives the crown representing the authority and the dignity that she has from God. It's the most sacred part of the ceremony. 
So while that's up there, I want to talk to you about the material that this is made of. Because the material that, uh, uh, in a monarchy, the material that the crown is made of, because it's giving honor to that office, that material represents the highest, what's, the, what's valued highly in that kingdom. And this crown is no exception. Let me give you some idea of what this crown is made of. It's made of gold. It has 2,868 diamonds. Let that sink in. 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, 269 pearls, 4 rubies. Some of these sapphires and emeralds are among the most famous jewels in England and go back a thousand years in history. And they express, they all express the value that that kingdom has for its queen. But while I was watching this procession and watching that crown pass on her casket, it was so touching as it went in front of Buckingham Palace from where she ruled and realizing she would be there no more, I thought of another crown. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, today. So would you put the other crown up, please? It's the crown of thorns. I want to talk this morning about the differences between these two crowns. Because just as the queen's crown is made of materials and in such a way that it takes the highest, most valued substances honored by that kingdom and places on the head of their monarch, in the same way this crown represents the most value, the highest value of his kingdom worn on his head. John chapter 18, if you can put that up. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Because this is what the Pharisees had said. They're trying, the Pharisees were trying to get... They could not execute him They didn't have the authority to execute him. So they had to have the Romans do it because the Romans, because they governed Palestine, they had the only authority to exercise capital punishment. And the method they used for the vilest criminals was crucifixion on a cross. And this was all part of God's plan and design. So they couldn't execute. So they bring him to Pilate, the Roman authority, and they had to accuse him of a crime that would get Pilate's attention. So they, they, they said he claims he's a king, and they wanted to use that as to charge him with some kind of insurrection against Caesar, who Pilate recognized as king. Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, are you speaking this of yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Go on. And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Well, are you a king then? And Jesus answered and said, You say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born For this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Keep going. Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. So he's asserting that he's a king, but the kingdom that he's king over is not a kingdom of this earth. So it's not a kingdom that you can see, whereas you can see what's glorious and what's, what's, what's beautiful and what's valuable in Queen Elizabeth's crown. You can't see what's valuable or what's beautiful in the crown that he wore because its crown comes from a kingdom that has a different set of values. So go to, go to John 19. So Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. That's beat him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe which represents royalty. Now they did not do that to honor him. They did not do that because they recognized he was a king. They did it to mock him. They did it to reject him. They did it to make fun of him, who he claimed he was. And isn't that what we've done? 
Isn't that what the world's done? Just think of how the world treats his royalty. Just think how the world treats his kingdom. Just think how we did until we came to hear the truth and accept the truth. So he was crowned, but he was crowned with a crown of thorns. His coronation service was not done in Westminster Abbey, but it was done in the bowels of the Roman Praetorium. It was not done by the high priest. They rejected him. It was done by Roman Gentile soldiers mocking him. But it was exactly what God had ordained ordained to happen. Because this crown is from another kingdom, the world cannot grasp its glorious value. It represents in this world suffering, defeat, guilt, rejection, humiliation. In the world's eyes, in the world's value system, that crown of thorn represents nothing that's of any value. It represents failure, shame, rejection. There's nothing glorious or honorable honorable by the world's standards. But it has a different value in heaven. It has a different value in the kingdom that he was a kingdom of, king of. The value is his kingdoms are represented by his crown. And the highest value in that kingdom is love. 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love, but it ends with this verse. Now abide faith, hope, and love. He just finished saying that the things that the Spirit of God brings into the church, the gifts that the Spirit of God brings to the church so that the church can minister and do God's work. These things, when Christ comes, they won't be necessary. They'll pass away. But these three values will remain, faith, hope, and love. But of these three, the greatest of these, the greatest of these values, the greatest of these values is love. But it's not a love the way the world understands love. It's really not a love the way so much of the church understands Love, because you can tell we don't really, really understand it because of the way we react, we treat each other. The world's idea of love is really at its root selfish. I love you because you love me. I, I remember falling in love with Anita when I began to realize that she loved me. It opened my heart to her. So my love back to her was a response of her love for me. And it wasn't because I was so handsome, it wasn't just, that was her nature. She loved. So the world's concept of love and what we function in is we we love back when we've been loved, which is why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you just love those who love you, (laughs) how are you any different from the world? That's what they do. And he goes on and says these startling things, you're supposed to love your enemies. Just to pray for those who do good for those who persecute you and pray for those who despitefully use you? That's crazy by the world's system of values. The world's system of values, you do something to me, I'm going to lovingly make sure it gets done back to you. So I'm going to pray for God to straighten you out. (laughs) So we have nice spiritual ways of getting back. But Jesus says that's not what we're to do because you're to be like your Father who is in heaven. So God doesn't treat us that way. So what's the love? What's the love as heaven's values? How is that different? Well, it's different because, first of all, it's not based on self. It's based on value that it ascribes to others. And the value that it ascribes to others is not because we're valuable but we're valuable to Him. There's a verse in Isaiah 43 talking to Israel, but it applies to us. He says, Because you are precious in my sight, 
I gave these nations for you. And I was praying over that one day and I saw God say to me, because you were precious in my sight, I gave my son for you. I began to meditate on the word precious. Not a word that men typically use, but God used it. And I began to think about what, what makes something precious. What makes something precious is not the inherent value, inherent value it has. We have a little dog, Molly. Just turned four years old. And Molly is precious to us. But I think there's some neighbors we have that not, Molly may not be as precious to as she is to us. So there's not an inherent preciousness in Molly. You know the expression, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Preciousness is in the heart of the beholder. So this love that's valued in heaven is the love that's not based on the loveliness of who it extends that love to. It comes from the character and nature of God himself because the Bible tells us God is love. It's not a characteristic he has. It's not a mood he has. It's not even a decision he makes. It's his nature. It's his character. And the thing about somebody's character is they will always act consistent with that character no matter what's going on around them. So the nature of this kind of love is it is not selfish and it is sacrificial. It will give everything for somebody else and hold nothing back. There's a verse in Romans 8. I was meditating on it this morning. Romans 8, 32. They won't put it up. It's not in my notes. It says, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. For us all. Not for the good ones. Not for the pastors, because they're not necessarily the same thing. Not for the strong. Not for the lovely. He delivered him up for us all. If he spared not his own son, how will he not also, together with him, freely give us all things? So this love is sacrificial, which means it's willing to sacrifice itself to redeem others, to save others, to take care of others. This love was willing for the innocent Son of God to suffer and die for ungodly you and me. Philippians chapter 2. This is a verse that just meant so much to me lately. Philippians 2 verse 5. Paul saying here, let this mind be in you. In other words, this is the attitude that we should live in. This is the attitude that we should have And it's the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. This mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. What that verse says in some other translations, and really what it says is, though he's in the form of God, he did not consider robbery to grasp and hold on to what he had. He did not grasp. He was God. He was the Son of God, the beloved Son of God. Through this Son of God, we know through a number of verses, the universe was created through Him. It was created for Him. It was created by Him. He was the beloved of heaven. He was the precious Son of God the Father. And He had all of that, all of the glory, and because of that, He was entitled to be worshipped. He was entitled to come to this earth with all His glory and all His authority and all His power and He was come because the world was a mess at that time. You think it's bad now. It was just as bad back then. He had every right and every reason to come to this earth and say, I am the one that created this. John chapter 1 talks about this. He was in this world. And he made this world. And he came unto his own, and his own recognized him not. We'll talk about why in a few minutes. 
That's what he had a right to. And it was a right given to him by God. It was a right earned to him. And as an act of his will, as an act of love, his love, he chose what it literally says. Go to the next verse. He made himself of no reputation. That literally means in the Greek, he emptied himself of all of his rights, of all of his privileges. He emptied himself of all of his dignity. We're going to talk about this in a month or so. Because when he came to this earth, he didn't come in his glory. He came as an infant born in a stable from a teenage girl. He entered this world the same way you and I did, with no fanfare other than the majesty, the, the magi, and the, but nobody else knew about it. Now, he's coming back. And he's not coming back the same way. Oh, I've got to move on. Okay. He, coming in the likeness of men, next verse, I've got to move. Being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He made a... I missed, go back to verse 7. He made himself... He emptied himself and he took on the form of a bondservant. He came here not to be exalted, not to be respected, not to be honored. He came here to serve all of mankind. And he did it his whole life and then ultimately served them by going to the cross. Okay, next verse 8. Being found in the period, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. This is what the crown of thorns represents. He became a human being. He entered a race of mankind that was under a curse of suffering and of sin. He entered in as a human being into a race that was bound by sin, bound and owned by Satan. And he came to redeem us and free us from that bondage to self. He came as a bondservant for a rebellious, sinful race who had rejected him. And he delivered us by suffering what we earned in our place so that we could be set free. Hebrews chapter 2. Talking about this. We do, we, what we do see is Jesus, he's comparing him to angels, who was given a position a little lower than the angels because he suffered death for us. Now he's been crowned with glory and honor. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yet, but Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death. Tasted means he's experienced death for everyone. Verse 10. God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children to glory it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a complete or perfect leader, fit to bring them to their salvation. Now go to the next verse I have in there. Because God's, because God's children, that's us, are human beings, this is out of the NLT, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Out of love he came to be one of us and to deliver us and to set him, us free. I'm going to read down through Isaiah 53. And, and we'll just have to go through this. But as we go through this, I want you to listen. See, when he came, been, Israel had been waiting for the Messiah to deliver them. But they were thinking in terms of the kingdoms of this earth. Because what they expected him to do is to deliver them from the dominion of Rome so that they could be set free again. So they were looking for a Messiah who was politically strong or politically powerful. But that's not what the scriptures say he was going to come as. But have you ever noticed, if you're expecting to see something, you'll miss what's actually there? I've been in the supermarket sometimes, and I've had people walk right past me because I wasn't wearing a suit. 
Oh, oh, Pastor John, you're not in a suit. I said, no, I don't live in a suit. I really only wear it here. (laughs) Why? Because they weren't expecting to see me in that place dressed the way I was. And this is what happened. They were expecting something, and Jesus came in a different form. He came as the suffering servant, not as the triumphant king and deliverer. So I want to read down through this quickly. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For she shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Look how vulnerable he was. As a root out of the dry ground that has no form or comeliness, which means beauty. There was nothing about him that was particularly glorious. There was no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. This was not what they were expecting. A man of sorrows, we know that also means pains, and acquainted with grief, that means sicknesses, but, and we hid as it were our face from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. But surely he has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace is upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone from his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't defend himself. He was laid as a lamb to the, led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears are silent. Do you ever wonder why, when you get the book of Revelation, it's the Lamb of God on the throne? not the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but lion represents mighty power and victory. But the victory that he won was not won as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The victory won for all of mankind was as the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He was taken from prison, verse 8, and from judgment, And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they ate his grave with the wicked, but with the rich in his death. Because he'd done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief, yet when you make his soul an offering for sin, you shall see his seed and, he, and you sh- he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his land, hand. And he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. That's you and me. And by his knowledge my righteous servant shall satisfy many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him with a portion of the great. And he shall divide the spoil and the strong, because he poured out his soul even unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made the intercessor for their transgressions. Philippians chapter 2, go back there. This is verse 9 now. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. We just sang about this this morning. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those under the earth, of those under the earth, that's down in hell, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The essence of this love is that it bears the burdens of others in order to set them free. He overcame this world's, by, uh, this world's suffering by bearing the suffering on Himself. I want to read to you, and I don't like to do this very often, but He can say it better than I could ever say it. This is a quote... Uh, from the book Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you want more information on that, on our website there's pastor's library. This book is, I think, in there. If you want this quote, it's in my notes. You can download my notes. Just go to our website or go to the app uh, and you can download this. I want to read this to you. So I want you to just listen to this. This is Bonhoeffer talking about the same thing. For God is a God who bears. The Son of God bore our flesh... And then He bore our cross and He bore our sins, thereby making an atonement for us. Listen carefully. In the same way His followers, that's us, 
are also called upon to bear. That is precisely what it means to be a Christian. Just as Christ maintained his communion with the Father by his endurance, so his followers are to maintain their communion with Christ by their endurance. We can, of course, shake off the burden which is laid upon us, but only find that we have a still heavier burden to carry. And that's the yoke of our own choosing. It's the yoke of self. You know what wears you down in life? What frustrates you? What gets you angry? Boiled down to its root, it's self. We're hurt because somebody hurt me. We're jealous because somebody got something I deserved. We're angry because something was done to me. The root of everything you've gotten upset about ultimately is self. And Jesus said, Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. He said, Well, that's great. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Oh, learn something from me. Lord, what are we supposed to learn from you that gives us rest? For I am meek and lowly of heart. In other words, I have no ambition for myself. My whole ambition is to see you set free. Take my yoke upon you. Just as Christ maintained the communion with the Father so by endurance, so his followers are to maintain their communion with Christ by, then, by our endurance. We can, of course, shake off the burden which is laid on us, but only to find there's still a heavier burden to carry, a yoke of your own choosing, a yoke of self. But Jesus invites all who travail and who are heavy laden to throw off their own yoke and to take his yoke upon them. And he's promised that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I'm leading one of the small groups. This is the group we're going through the book, In His Steps written at the end of the 20th century. And, and the, the root of the book is, is making your, truly living out your commitment to Christ. And what we're finding as we discuss this commitment with one another is that when you step over that line and you make that commitment to deny yourself just what we're called to do, there's a freedom in it. All the pressure just leaves. Oh, there's pressure in life, but it can't get at you because you've stepped into Christ. You've stepped into Him. There's a, there's a verse where Jesus says near the end, he said, Satan's come, but he can find no place in me. And I get this image. I was used to, when I was a young boy, I started following the NFL, and I've gotten kind of, anyway, I don't want to go there. Um, and what, what, the, what the players would do, the linemen would do, is when, when the defensive linemen learned that when the runner came through, they'd just grab his jersey if they couldn't grab him because he wasn't going to go anywhere without his jersey. So the, 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 the running backs got smart, and they started tying their jersey up tight so that they couldn't be grabbed. And now, you, if you look at it all, they wear these jerseys that, that are skin tight. Why? What's the purpose of that? To look cool? No. It's so they can't, there's nothing to get a hold of as you're running your course. And Jesus said, Satan couldn't get a hold of anything of me. Why? because he laid it all down in the garden. He laid it all down when he came here. He laid it all down when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. He laid his self down for you and me. That's how he could pick up a crown, let them put a crown of thorns on his head and not react. That's how he could allow them to beat him and whip him and make fun of him and not strike back because he was already dead to himself before he was ever arrested. He died the ultimate death self in the garden when three times he asked God if he could remove it. So what does this mean for us? Whereas if you're a Christian, if you're really a Christian, we're called to bear one another's burdens. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, the first thing it means is forgiveness. Because when we're hurt, when we're angry, when somebody has done something, they did it to me. You know what they did to me? So when I forgive them, what I'm doing is I'm basically taking their sin, which, which deserved punishment, I'm taking that on myself, and I'm bearing their sin so I can set them free by forgiving them. 
And isn't that what he did for you and me? He suffered so you could be free. It wasn't just that he waved a wand and said, okay, I'm God, you're all free, you're all forgiven, go on your merry way. No, because by the justice of heaven, somebody had to pay that price. Somebody had to suffer. And Jesus said, I love them so much. All of them. The worst of the worst. So much, I'll come here. And though I'm entitled to be worshipped as the Son of God, I will give all that up. I'll lay it all aside and come here, become one of them, so that I can bear their suffering on me. So that they can be set So the first way we do this, the most important way we do this, is by forgiving one another. How can we stand before God and say, I couldn't forgive that person, and look at the Savior who wore a crown of thorns, whose hand pointing out to me has nail holes in it for me, and say, I couldn't do that for them. How could I ever stand before Him and give that answer? And while you and I are alive today, we still have the opportunity to let that go and to forgive. The second way is the Bible tells us to bear one another's burdens. So what does that mean? Well, it means helping out like we are with the food campaign and things like that. But there's some more subtle ways that are so more... It's always, it's e- sometimes it's easier to give something else other than give me. A year or so ago, we addressed here some of the racial issues. And although we have a church that is very racially mixed, as you stand up here and look at it, we discovered that there are issues underneath, lying underneath. And we had two Wednesday night forums where we were encouraging, challenging those of us who are, are, are of a race, those of us who are of a position, that we don't deal with any of that stuff any of that persecution, any of those attitudes, to come and to learn and listen to what our brothers and sisters have to deal with just because they're born with a different color skin. And I felt such resistance from people. And yet that's bearing one another's burden. He came from heaven. We're not going to get a chance to read the scripture where he says he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he was tempted and always as we are, yet he didn't sin. Therefore, we have a merciful and faithful high priest so we can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because he came and knows what it's like for you to struggle with what you're struggling with. Why does he know that? Because he's God in heaven. No, because he put that aside to come and be one of us, feel what we go through, deal with Satan, deal with the temptation, so you can come to Him and He can understand what you're going through so He can help you. He bore your burdens. So to be a Christian, we're called to bear one another's burdens. What does it mean? What you have to deal with, the injustice you may be dealing with. What does it mean that you've got to come here and feel like a second-class citizen? That hurt me to hear people say that. That hurt me. It began to be a burden that I began to feel. So I had to lay myself aside. I had to lay my agenda aside. I had to lay aside. I'm still working at it. Lay aside my attitudes and lay aside, well, I don't, it doesn't bother me. I had to lay that aside so that I could be touched by what some of my brethren right here go through. How can I say I'm a Christian and not be willing to just do that when he did so much. And again, while we're still alive, because we'll give an account for that, while we're still alive, while we're still here, we have that opportunity still to make that adjustment and make that correction. And there's so many other ways. Interceding, prayer for others. And ultimately, it's bearing Christ's persecution because we're His believers. There's a verse in that last song that Priscilla sang, which is what inspired this for me as I watched that funeral procession and I looked at her crown. 
this verse, and she's gonna, we're going to close with her singing this in another minute. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Can you put that crown of thorns back up? No rubies, no jewels, no gold. We know where the queen's crown is right now. It's in the Tower of London. We have no idea where this is thrown aside, most likely. But this is the most glorious crown that's ever been worn. Not just because who wore it, but because what it represents. It represents the love of God the Father, the Creator, of a sinful, rebellious, proud, Satan-bound race of people who rejected Him, the Bible says hated Him, and He came and He wore that King's crown to redeem you and me. Now we get to heaven, we're going to see a different crown. We get to crowns. We get to throw crowns at His feet. That's the privilege we have. We're going to close the service and I'm going to ask her to sing that before we close. But Before we do that, I want to give anybody who's here or who's watching online an opportunity. If you've never received this gift, this is a free gift. Jesus paid for this over 2,000 years ago. And He paid for it for you. If you were the only person that had ever committed a sin, He still would have come and He still would have done everything exactly the same way just for you. And this morning He's calling you to Himself. Whether you're here or you're watching online. He's already done this. He's already paid the price. He's paid the price for your sin to, to free you and to relieve you from sin, from self, from whatever has you bound. He's paid that price already. The gift is here. Are you going to accept that gift? Say, well, you don't understand what I'm like. It doesn't matter. You don't have to take a a shower to take a bath. He'll clean you up. You just need to come just as you are. So if you're here this morning and you've never made this commitment to Christ, you've never received this gift of salvation that He paid so much for, that's how precious you are to Him, but you have to receive the gift. In Christmas, you've got to receive the gift. You have to receive this gift. You've never received this gift. I want to pray for you this morning, but I need you to let me know by raising your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Maybe you've made this commitment before, but you've wandered away and you know you need to come back. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Or maybe you're watching online and you're, you're one of those two. You've never made this commitment. All right, here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer. And then when the service ends, right after they sing this song, what I'm going to ask you to do, if you didn't have the courage to raise your hand, and I understand that this happens not uncommonly, then I'm going to ask you to come over here. We have Ingrid over here. We have some others that that we'd be willing to pray with you. But we're going to give you some free material so that you understand what you've done today. And if you're online and you pray this with me for the first time, then there's a phone number at the bottom of your screen. If you call that number at the bottom of your screen tomorrow, somebody live will answer that phone and we want to send you the same material that we're giving to people here free. And if you need prayer, they'll be happy to pray with you. So let's, let's pray together. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done. You know everything I've ever said. You know everything I've ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior 
and I take my life as it is right now, the good and the mess, and I put all of it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen and amen. Let's stand together.